Alrighty, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us and for your word. God, we just pray that your word would um, intersect with our lives to challenge us, to shape us, that we might become more like Jesus in our actions, our thoughts, our priorities, um, our attitudes. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Why church? That's a question that a lot of people in our society ask. Why church? Why go to church? Why spend on a weekend? We're very busy people. Uh, On Sunday, maybe the only day we don't have commitments. Why? Why go to church? Why take an hour, maybe two or so, and, and go to church? Aren't there better things to do with your time? You know, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the, the nature of the church. We'll be looking at the question of why next week. But today we're going to begin with the question of what? What is church? What are we to be doing? What are to be our priorities? What are we supposed to be as a people together? You know, part of the problem that sometimes we have is an understanding of the nature of the church. Uh, our language is a giveaway. So we'll say things like, uh, I, I'm, I go to church. Just like we say, I go to the mall, or I'm going to the game, or I'm going to school, or I'm going to, to work. We say, well, I'm, I'm going to church. And we think of church as a place where we visit Maybe consume something, do something, contribute something, and then we leave. It's something we go to church. But the early church, the early Christians, didn't talk about going to church. They talked about we are the church, about being the church. And nowhere is that more apparent than in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, the passage that Dan just read. Now, the context of Acts chapter 2 uh, is the Pentecost has just happened. Jesus has ascended back into heaven and the early church has been formed. Now, this is not an ideal situation for a church to start. Um, they're a small speck, just a few hundred believers in this vast Roman Empire, surrounded by all sorts of worldviews and other religions that are working against them. And so this is not the ideal situation for a church start or church plant. And yet when God gets involved, as we look through the book of Acts, God gets involved, the Holy Spirit fills them with power, and Christ is preached as crucified and risen, and amazing things happen. So let's take a look this morning and see what we can learn from the the early church or the first church that we see in Scripture. Now, the first thing that we're told in this passage is that they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and of fellowship. Now, that word fellowship is a word that's used, it's kind of cheapened sometimes, but it has the idea of this close knit group. They're super close, super committed to each other, people that you do life with. So, for instance, they would laugh with each other, they would cry with each other, they would celebrate with each other, uh, they would um, pray with each other, they would share, they would serve, they would give and receive from each other. They devote themselves to that. We see that devotion again in verse 46, where it says, Every day they continue to meet together, and they broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts. Now, if you go through the book of Acts after the church is formed, there's another 25 chapters. You go through the book of Acts, and you see over and over again that the the early church met in these, these small clusters, these small groups. They met in homes together. 
It, it talks about a number of, of houses and uh, they're owned in the book of Acts. A man named J- Jason, they met there. Philip's house, Lydia's house, the house of a Philippian jailer, and so on and so forth. So for the early church, the idea, the main way that the church was expressed was in these small gatherings, these groups in each other's homes. They didn't really have buildings back then. And so lesson number one we're going to take from the early church, the first church today, is that we are to do life with each other intentionally in these smaller gatherings especially. I mean, think about about how Jesus spent the majority of his ministry. Three years he ministered before he was crucified. What did he do with most of his time? Well, as you read through the Gospels, you see that he spent most of his time hanging out with other people, hanging with the disciples primarily. He did life with them. I'm sure they, 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 they walked everywhere. So they would walk and they would talk and they would share meals. They would do life. They would think. They would pray. They would laugh. And Jesus modeled for them what it meant to be devoted to God. And then Jesus demonstrated for them love and compassion as he reached across all sorts of barriers. He reached out to lepers and to the Samaritans and and to women, to cripples, to those who are on the edges of society. Jesus reached out to them. Those who experienced racism or bigotry, those who were rejected by society. Jesus modeled that for them and he reached out to them. That's how we learn, isn't it? In groups, we sharpen each other. We learn from each other. We're designed as human beings for relationships. And if we're not a part of relationships with other people, we will wither and we will become less than what God has intended for us to become. So if we want to thrive spiritually, we must follow Jesus' example and the example of the first church and do life with each other intentionally in these smaller gatherings. The next thing we see about the early church is that it was a loving church. They loved each other with actions and with words. St. Francis Assisi has a famous quote where he said, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Again, we look to this word fellowship. And the original Greek word for fellowship is this word koinonia. Maybe you've heard it. What it literally means is to have something in common to hold on to something together, to share something together. And as believers, there are some very important things that we share. The first and foremost is the oneness we have through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's the most precious connection that we have. And when we share that connection with with each other, all our differences should melt away, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're rich or you're poor, you're you're African-American or you're you're white or whatever, all those differences should dissolve away because of the oneness we have in Jesus Christ. That's why the early church, the first church, was so compelling. That's why it grew primarily. Because that was the only place in all the Roman Empire where you had Greeks together with Jews, you had men and women together, you had slaves and you had free people, all together together under one roof, in one group together. And that was compelling. It should be the same way in today's church, shouldn't it? The church ought to include rich people, poor people, white collar, blue collar, healthy, unhealthy, young, old, black and white, and everybody else. Church ought to look like 
the Department of Motor Vehicles. Okay, let me explain. You walk in to get your registration. You walk into the room. There's a room of people. And there's a guy there getting registration for an SUV that's worth over $50,000. And you have another guy there who's unemployed uh, on, on, on the government dole. And he's getting registration for a pickup that's beat up and 20 years old. The church should reflect all sorts of people with all sorts of back, backgrounds and, and, and issues. And when the church gets together and, and we end up loving each other, despite every reason we have to divide, you can be certain that something powerful is happening. as a strong witness to the world around us. So we share in something, the oneness we have in Christ. We also share out of something. Okay, take a look at verses 44 and 45. And the Apostle Luke says, he describes how the believers sold their property and possessions and used the proceeds to help those in need. Now, some people have said that this practice was an early form of communism and that Christians should follow the same lifestyle. Is that a yes or a no? Well, Jesus and the disciples never directly forbade anybody having uh, private property. They assumed it. In fact, there's an exchange with um, um, Ananias and Sapphira where Jesus says, doesn't it, or Peter says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? So, no, the early church didn't practice communism. But it doesn't let us off the hook. Because when the Spirit of God enters a person's life, Sacrificial giving and service is a natural fruit. And we want to respond to the people around us. And we realize that the the things we have, the the possessions, uh, the gifts that we have are just entrusted to us. And they're actually God's. And we, we give them back to him and we use them to bless other people. That's why the Apostle John writes this. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against them, how does the love of God Abide in them. So lesson number two is that we are to love with our words and with our actions. Lesson number three from the early church. We are to lift each other up. Encourage one another and build one another up. If you follow sports, you know that the Golden State Warriors have had an incredible run of success. Three NBA championships in four years. And they're the favorites again this year. And this past Friday, they set NBA history. Do you know what they did? They started five returning All-Stars for the first time in NBA history. You know the lineup? Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and DeMarcus Cousins, who just came back from injury. Now, along with their overwhelming talent and their incredible coach, Steve Kerr, the Warriors are known for having a special team culture. Listen to what I read recently about them and why so many players want to play for the Golden State Warriors. This is from the newspaper. The Warriors are known in NBA circles as an extremely close-knit team. Each member seems to buy into their role on the team and in the overall big picture. From the stars to the bench players, everyone appears to know and accept their roles. As results have demonstrated, it's clear the team has a unified culture. Two more sentences. A great team or company culture is like a royal flush in poker, extremely rare and powerful, beating any other hand. And then it closes with this. Whenever one of them struggles, the others are there to lift him up. In life, just like in basketball, there will be times when things don't go according to plan. 
when our plans for our business don't pan out or we drop the ball in our classes or we hurt somebody in a relationship that's important to us or they hurt us or we make a choice that we wish we had not made and our life goes awry. And at that point, we need somebody, a teammate or a parent or a coworker or a boss, a family member, a friend, a fellow believer, a part of the body of Christ to come alongside us and to lift us up and to encourage us and to believe in us and be there for us. And when you look at the life of the first church and you look at the life of Jesus Christ with the disciples, that's what happens. I mean, one of the things I love about the disciples is that they screw up a lot because that makes me feel comfortable because I do too. And and when they do, what does Jesus do? How does he respond? He believes in them. He gives them responsibility. He prays for them. He serves them. He even washes their feet for crying out loud. He lifts them up. You know, one of the most powerful experiences of my life was during college. I, I was a part of a fraternity, and there was a group of guys in that fraternity that I connected with real deeply. And, and we each loved Jesus, and we loved each other. We were all very different, different backgrounds, different high schools, different personalities. But it was life-changing because, because we were there for each other. There are many times when we would make a mistake, and the other guys would come alongside and kind of say, Hey, and help us get back on track. Help us believe in ourselves. Help us start anew. That's what the body of Christ is to be about. Robert Lewis says the church is to be a community of irresistible grace. I like that phrase. A community of irresistible grace. In other words, a place in the people who are so devoted to each other, so loving and so caring, so there for each other, that's irresistible, that people want to be a part of it. The next lesson we see from the first church is that we are to worship together. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the breaking of bread, of course, is communion, which we celebrate the first Sunday of every month. And we remember what Christ has done for us, his broken body for our sins, his shed blood for our sins. And we spend time in prayer, prayer for each other, prayer for the church, prayer for our community, prayer for our world. The, the, the fifth and last lesson from the early churches, we are to serve together. Now, you've heard this a thousand times probably, but people do not care about what we know until they know how much we care. Now, the church has been given the answers to the most important questions in life. Like, how do I know God? What happens after I die? Why am I here? Yet if we do not serve people, if we do not meet their needs, the answers will not be received. It's just like whistling in the wind. Now, we are to serve the needs of those within the church. Yes, it happens through our deacons, through our life groups, um, through people who help people move and deliver meals, through our visitation teams. We don't get it right all the time, but we try to do our best to love and serve each other. But we're also to meet the, nose, meet, the, meet the needs of those outside the church. Jesus uses a metaphor for the church. He says, we're like a city on a hill. We're like salt. And if we serve others, if we're out in the community serving others, Jesus says, they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In other words, service is a witness to others. 
You know, there's a, a great story about Winston Churchill uh, towards the end of, uh, towards the middle of World War II when things were looking pretty dark and it looked like the Nazis were going to overrun England. And they were needing silver for the war effort. And Winston Churchill asked if there were any possible sources of silver left. And the answer came back, yes, in the churches and the cathedrals, there are lots of beautiful sterling silver statues of the saints. And from Churchill came back the now famous reply, well, it's time to put the saints into circulation. And so they did. We are called to be in circulation. We're called to be the church, not just to do church, not just to go to church, but to be the church to each other, but also to the community around us, to express our love for God and our love for others through our actions, through our words, and through our attitudes and our values. May we learn from the example of the early church, the first church. And may we learn from the example of Jesus and his disciples that we would truly be the church. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. And Father, I just pray that uh, your word would take root in each person's heart and mind, uh, that you would do something in their heart or mind, that they would grow closer to you, um, that their life would be more aligned with yours. I pray the same for myself, Father. I pray, Lord, for our church and all the other churches in Salina that, that we together would, would glorify you and serve our community, that we would not just go to church, but that we would be the church. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.